The problem is a lot of people who don't believe in justification also don't believe in the wrath of God. They really don't believe that God judges. What they believe is God's nice, I'm nice, so let's be nice. That's their religion. It's relational, it's not legal. And, and therefore justification has to be about restoring the relationship. It's not about some legal mumbo jumbo. And you have left wing versions of it and right wing versions of it. Hey, Mike Horton here. If you're new to the White Horse Inn and want to know what you believe and why you believe it, be sure to visit our website in order to sign up for a free membership. When you sign up at whitehorseinn.org, you'll get free access to the 12 most recent extended length episodes, along with discussion questions for each program and terms to learn. And you can get your free membership just by signing up at whitehorseinn.org forward slash member. That's whitehorseinn.org slash member. Five centuries ago, in taverns and public houses across Europe, the masses would gather for discussion and debate over the latest ideas sweeping the land. From one such meeting place, a small Cambridge inn called the White Horse, the Reformation came to the English-speaking world. Carrying on the tradition, welcome to the White Horse Inn. I've had my head in this topic of justification for some years now, but particularly in light of a two-volume work that I finished a year ago, which was given a really jazzy title, Justification, <laughs> Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, and I thought for a conference like this, I wanted, to, I wanted to aim somewhere between no familiarity with justification as a systematic theological doctrine and that kind of a technical treatment. As most of you know, the Reformation was a response to a long-held interpretation of justification in the Roman Catholic Church, in the medieval church that we all belonged to until excommunication happened. The broad church of the West taught that justification is an inner process of moving from sinner to saint. So, as is still... Uh, the view of the Roman Catholic Church, justification essentially is sanctification. It's forgiveness of sins without a positive declaration of righteousness until you successfully cooperate with grace and at the end, hopefully, merit final justification. But today in the church, we also have differing views of justification presented under the Protestant umbrella. Uh, today, it is as likely to find as many interpretations of justification among Protestants as among Christians more generally. The Reformation doctrine certainly can't be taken for granted. In fact, David Shaw says, put simply, the doctrine of justification in the 20th century has endured one of two fates. It has either retained its traditional meaning but been declared peripheral to Paul's concerns, or it has remained central by undergoing a degree of redefinition. And that's a really succinct way of putting the state of the argument today. It's still central, but it doesn't mean what it used to mean. One alternative that you hear in Protestant biblical scholarship today, and you hear it in evangelical seminaries, 
today is called The New Perspective on Paul. And according to this view, justification is covenant membership. To be justified is to be declared a covenant member, a member of the covenant community. And so it is not a soteriological, salvation-oriented doctrine, but an ecclesiological, a church-oriented doctrine. It's not a question about how you get saved. It's a question about who is saved. Who do we know is in and who do we know is out? And faith is the badge of the people who are in. Faith is not the means of being justified. So covenant membership is one of the alternatives to the traditional Protestant forensic view, that is legal courtroom view, that justification is a declaration that the unrighteous are righteous solely because Christ's righteousness is credited to us. That's going to be the setting for what we'll be discussing here today. We'll be looking very briefly, first of all, at the traditional Roman Catholic view that is still found in Protestant circles today, uh, and then we'll be looking at the covenant membership view that is dominant in the new perspective on Paul. But before we do that, let's take a step back, get a look at the big picture here of one of the epistles where justification, you might say, comes up a few times. Paul's letter to the Romans. Let me just give a big picture of Paul's argument in Romans. Paul starts out by saying that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Okay, so right out of the gate, any view that says Paul's great concern in talking about justification is not the wrath of God and condemnation probably is missing the point. If that's the first thing Paul says in his argument. And then he goes on to say, the Gentiles are really in quite a predicament because they know the law. They have the law written on their conscience. And sometimes they even do the things prescribed in the law, even though they don't have Torah. So that they are without excuse. Look at the wickedness of the Gentile nations. And he Describes it in rather lurid detail. Sounds a lot like the evening news. And perhaps some of the Jews in the Church of Rome, Jewish Christians, are saying, you go get them. (laughs) Those secular humanists, they don't have the Bible. They don't have the law of God like we do. They don't have Christian values. And Paul says, okay, now to you. You who have the law, don't you realize when you say we have the law, you're condemning yourselves? Gentiles don't have a law, but they sometimes do things that are prescribed in the law because it's written on their conscience. You have Torah, just as you say, and you don't do it. For God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so the Gentiles and the Jews both stand under the law Condemned. This is how the apostle concludes his argument after saying the Jews are under punishment just as much as the Gentiles. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, this is verse 19 of chapter 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, which by the way means 
whom, given his argument so far? The Jews and the Gentiles are under the law, whether it's written on the conscience or it's written on stone tablets. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That is the conclusion to the argument that he has made up till now. No one will be justified according to the law. Now, the, the covenant membership position says, works of the law only means circumcision and dietary laws. doesn't mean all laws. It means those laws that mark people off as Jewish and don't let the Gentiles in unless they become Jewish. It's those laws, just those particular laws. Well, if that's the case, how can Paul say the Gentiles are under the law? And, along with the Jews, stand condemned by the law. Whatever the argument has been thus far, it has to lead. Whatever your interpretation of Paul's doctrine of justification is, somehow you have to get from the fact that he starts with condemnation and he turns the page to justification. Whatever justification is, it's an answer to condemnation. Sanctification is not an answer to condemnation. Sanctification is an answer to corruption. Whatever justification is, it has to be an answer to condemnation. It must be a legal courtroom verdict, just as condemnation, in fact, is. And that's why Paul, with his transition now, right after the verses I just quoted, Romans 3, 19 through 20, says in verse 21, here's the transition now, new argument, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Why? All of this, he says in verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all courtroom language. It, it, it's not about transforming people's lives. That's sanctification. We believe in that. But this isn't justification. And it's not about covenant membership. Nothing here has been said about covenant membership. Nor is he talking about some laws being obsolete versus other laws being necessary for justification. He's contrasting works of the law in toto with the gift of righteousness. Here are really the bookends of his two argument. The righteousness of God has two forms. It's the same righteousness, but it, it, it can be understood in two ways. The righteousness of God, that is his attribute of righteousness, what God is eternally in his essence as righteous, which is bad news for you and me. Anyone who thinks that that is good news 
uh, if you're seeking to be justified by pleasing a righteous God, uh, you have something else coming. It, that's why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven because the righteousness of God condemns us all. But now, verse 21, but now a righteousness from God, a gift of righteousness to all who believe. You see the difference? The righteousness of God that condemns us is the law. The law reveals the righteousness of God that condemns us all, Jew and Gentile alike. The righteousness from God to which the law and the prophets testify is the way to be justified before God. You can never be justified before God by appealing to his essential righteousness as if you could stand before him in your own merits. What we need is a gift of righteousness to be declared righteous in his courtroom. Basically, I want to begin with that introduction, uh, taking a step back and seeing the big picture of how Paul argues for the doctrine of justification. It's not about covenant membership. It's not about sanctification. Justification is about something else entirely. Well, then what is it exactly? Well, a lot of it turns on whether we actually believe that God is righteous and we are not, right? That was a big part of his argument just before he said, so nobody will be justified by the works of the law. Why? There is no one who does good. No, not one. Well, I mean, I know some good people. No, not one. There is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks after God. No one. If you really believe God is righteous and there is a judgment coming and none of us is righteous, what do you need? You need somehow to be able to withstand that judgment. You need to somehow be able to stand in the presence of God with a status of righteous or you have no hope. And 1 Thessalonians, by the way, is the first letter that Paul ever penned. And in that letter, Paul speaks at length about the coming judgment of God. It's one of the central themes in 1 Thessalonians. Be prepared for the coming wrath of God. Just as he begins Romans, he begins 1 Thessalonians with the coming wrath of God. This is on his mind. The problem is a lot of people who don't believe in justification also don't believe in the wrath of God. They really don't believe that God judges. What they believe is, God's nice, I'm nice, so let's be nice. That's their religion. And you have left-wing versions of it and right-wing versions of it. And so the great question that Paul's hearers and recipients of this letter would have had is, how do we survive the coming judgment? And by the way, that was a Jewish question. It wasn't a Gentile question. Gentiles were saying, uh, how can I get out of this body? Boy, I can't wait till I fly away. Oh, glory, glory, I'll fly away. Uh, the body is a prison house of the soul, right? So they're going to be released and great. Salvation is basically dying. You're finally released. The great concern of the Jewish people at this time was, how are we going to survive the coming judgment, which must be right around the corner? And so the gospel isn't simply that Jesus was crucified and raised or that these events demonstrate his lordship. 
but that he was crucified for our sins and was raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. For more than 30 years, Modern Reformation Magazine has been a trusted source for biblical insight, cultural analysis, and theological reflection. Right now, if you lock in a three-year subscription to Modern Reformation for just $20 a year, we'll send you a complimentary copy of our book, Defending the Faith, which is a collection of some of our best articles on the topic of apologetics. To get your complimentary copy of Defending the Faith, lock in your three-year subscription to Modern Reformation now by heading over to whitehorsesand.org slash mrspecial. That's whitehorsesand.org slash mrspecial. The White Horse Inn is a listener-supported broadcast. To find out how to support our efforts, check out the support page of our website, whitehorseinn.org. If you are new to the White Horse Inn, be sure to click on the first-time visitors link from our homepage, where you can order our free intro kit. By signing up for this kit, we'll send you a complimentary copy of the current issue of our magazine, Modern Reformation, along with a set of our most recent extended-length White Horse Inn CDs, which includes a great deal of additional material not aired on our radio or podcast editions. Again, we'll send you a sample copy of our magazine, Modern Reformation, along with extended-length editions of The White Horse Inn on CD, completely free of charge. All you have to do is request our intro kit. Simply look for the first-time visitors link on our homepage at whitehorseinn.org. That's whitehorseinn.org. Welcome back to the White Horse Inn as we're presenting a special conference address by Michael Horton titled, What is Justification? Okay, now let's go a little bit deeper into the weeds here on the definition. In the New Testament, the two words, justification and righteousness, are linked semantically. And they, they belong to a word group, D-I-K. So, dikaioma is the legal verdict of either acquittal or condemnation. Dikaiosune is righteousness, the noun, righteousness or justice. The adjective dikaios is righteous or just. And dikaio means to justify, to declare righteous in the courtroom, to be cleared in court. And if you pick up a classical Greek or Koine Greek lexicon, it will tell you that that's what justification means. So simply on lexical grounds, at least two alternatives have to be excluded, which happen to be the two that I mentioned at the outset. First, dikaiao cannot mean to make righteous. And the problem is the Latin Vulgate of Jerome in the 5th century, the Latin Vulgate rendered dikaiao justificare. To declare righteous instead became to make righteous. And so people who couldn't read Greek, which meant even a lot of Latin theologians, including Augustine, who had a great theology of grace. It's all of grace. We're saved by grace alone, standing for the truth of grace alone. He nevertheless believed justification was a process of being made righteous by grace. You say, how could, you, for centuries, the magisterial church get it so wrong on justification well, if the only Bible you have says to make righteous every time you read justification, no surprise that you're going to interpret justification as sanctification. But it can't mean that. Jerome simply 
was wrong when he translated it like that. And Erasmus realized it when he made up his critical edition of the New Testament in the 16th century. And Erasmus never joined the Reformation. Nevertheless, before Luther, Erasmus said, that's not what it means. Justificare is not the proper rendering for dikaiao. Justification means to be declared righteous in the courtroom. Never mind the basis, never mind the means. Just what it means is declared righteous in the courtroom. It does not mean to make holy. It's interesting, too, you can go outside of Paul, go to Jesus, Matthew 12, 37, and John 3, 17 through 18, and you have two verbs juxtaposed against each other. The problem that is being addressed, the problem being solved is condemnation. And what does he say is the solution? Justification. In both of those instances, justification is used in juxtaposition to condemnation. Do you see why I'm emphasizing that point? Justification must be a legal, first of all, that's just what it means, but it has to be used as a legal courtroom term here, a verdict, a declaration that one is righteous, if the opposite is condemnation. The opposite of condemnation is acquittal. If the one is a courtroom legal verdict, then the other must be as well. You don't want a bad verdict, you want a good verdict. For Paul also, this dikaioma is justification in opposition not to corruption, but to catechrema, condemnation. There, there are so many passages where when Paul's talking about justification, it's an answer to condemnation. Joseph Fitzmaier is one of my favorite commentators on Paul. Sometimes you feel like you're living in a Salvador Dali painting. Where you have, you know, clocks dripping off of trees and everything, and you just wonder how how more surreal can this get when you you're relying on Roman Catholic commentaries on, on Romans and really discouraged by reading Protestant commentaries. To be justified in Christ, he writes, is to stand before God's tribunal acquitted or vindicated that they might stand before him as righteous persons. In his experience near Damascus, Paul realized the truth that all human beings have sinned and have failed to attain the share of divine glory destined for them. But this is now given through what Christ Jesus has obtained for them vicariously. Thus, Paul realized that the righteousness that he and other Christians have is not their own, it is a righteousness from God, Philippians 3.9, Romans 10.3, a gift freely bestowed by God because of what Christ Jesus has done for sinners. God thus became for Paul the source of life in Christ Jesus because God had made him our righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30. The means whereby Paul himself now became upright, or righteous before God. It's a wonderful thing when people are just honest about what words mean. Now, what is the gift? Now we decide the question, uh, okay, if it's a legal verdict, you are righteous. 
I declare you righteous in the courtroom. On what basis? What is the gift of righteousness that we read about in Romans 3.21? One other place for answering this question is Romans 5, summarized in verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the catechrema, judgment, following one trespass, brought condemnation, and the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now still, this gift of righteousness has been interpreted in in different ways. For much of the church's history, and still in Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholic theology, This justification is regarded as a process of becoming holy that reaches a climax in deification, the beatific vision, for those who cooperate with grace sufficiently. And according to Latin theology, justification remains a free gift because when you are baptized, it is all of grace. You're a little helpless baby. You you can't contribute anything to it. It is 100% grace. God has unconditionally chosen you for salvation. And he, he gives his elect the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit in baptism so that they are forgiven and cleansed and regenerated. That's justification. And so if you ask a Roman Catholic, if you ask Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, do you believe in justification by grace? He would say, absolutely. What else could it be? God chose us unconditionally. In Christ before the foundation of the world, Christ died for the elect. The Holy Spirit has to efficiently regenerate people. They can't even cooperate with that. It's 100% God. God sovereignly regenerates people in baptism. That first justification is all of grace. Then he gives them the opportunity with sufficient grace, not efficient grace that regenerates, but sufficient grace if we participate, sufficient grace to receive a further justification, an increase of the gift of righteousness, until one day, finally, we stand before God, and then, only then is it a verdict. God declares you righteous based on whether you actually are in yourself righteous. Now, as I say, you hear this in all kinds of circles these days, not just Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, but Protestant as well. What is the free gift? Free gift of righteousness. The free gift of righteousness is not the ability to merit final justification. The free gift of righteousness is the free gift of righteousness. And what is that free gift according to the Apostle Paul? None other than Jesus Christ. It's not something he gives us that justifies us. It's someone he gives us that justifies us. He gives us Christ. That's why the reformer said, this is, this is the line in the sand. This is what this is really all about. Christ or nothing. 
This is not about a fine point of theology. This is about whether we believe in Jesus or not. Whether we really trust in Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his merits or not. Is it a free gift? And is that free gift Jesus Christ? If you hesitate on that, then you're not a faithful interpreter of the gospel, the reformer said. And the, the last one that I'll just have to mention briefly, another great word, logizomai, to impute or to credit. And I've already kind of made that point the, so, so that... The word justification means to declare righteous in the courtroom. The basis for it is Christ. You don't receive any gifts of Christ without receiving the giver. The giver comes with his gifts. It is Christ who is our salvation, not something he gives us. It is Christ himself who is our life. Christ himself who is our obedience. Christ himself who is our righteousness. Christ himself who is our immortality. Being united to him, everything he is now belongs to us. And then how do we receive this? We receive this by crediting or imputing. We receive this in a, a banking sense. By God crediting to us the perfect righteousness of another, namely Jesus Christ. And so we go from rags to riches. Let me close by reading the Apostle Paul's personal account of how this happened and how he knows this in his own life from Philippians chapter 3. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. I love that. I'm going to tell you the gospel again. I know I've just done it about 30 times, but it's no trouble for me. Isn't that great? It's no trouble for me to repeat the gospel again, and it's really safe for you because you don't really know the gospel. I know you think you do, but you don't really know the gospel. Paul says, I don't really know the gospel till I hear it again and again. We have to always hear the gospel. It's always alien. It's always foreign. We totally get moralism. We totally get that. What we don't get is that God justifies the wicked. Just go out and ask people, what do you think religion is all about? Making good people better. Having your best life now. Be a better you. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, whatever I had in my bank account, I thought, this is my retirement savings. Whatever I had in my asset column, I counted all as loss bankruptcy for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of everything and counted all as dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You've been listening to a special conference edition of the White Horse Inn featuring an address by Michael Horton titled, What is Justification? This series of talks, which will be airing throughout this month, 
are related to Mike's two-volume book project on the Doctrine of Justification, which was recently awarded Christianity Today's Book of the Year Award in the category of Theology and Ethics. If you'd like to read more on this topic, simply head to whitehorseinn.org and look for Mike's article that we've made available there on the front page titled, Does Justification Still Matter? This article is free of charge for a limited time, and you can find it at whitehorseinn.org. And while you're there, be sure to click on the Donate tab to find out how to support our work. That's whitehorseinn.org, and we'll see you again next time at the White Horse Inn.